Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor. Look, I got props here today, and like props always make me nervous, so let me just get these all ready to go. Um, if it's your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming to check us out. And so this is really an exciting day for you guys to come here. If this is your first time, this is not a normal day here at Downtown Harbor Church. At the end of the 1030 service, for not this service, so if you come early, you really get no benefits at all. But at the end of the 1030 service, okay, other than you get to brunch earlier than they do. Um, at the end of the 1030 service, we are doing a baby dedication, or as we like to call it here at this church, Baby D. I mean, that sounds a lot cooler, so that's what we, we, you know, we aim for cool points, and so that's what we're doing. And let me just briefly explain to you what a baby dedication is and what those folks will, will be seeing that you'll only hear me talk about. Um, a couple times a year, we invite families that have uh, brand new babies or, or, or young children, and, and they want to come to dedicate their child to the Lord. And this is just a chance for them to commit in, in God's eyes, to commit to raising their son or their daughter according to the Word of God. And it's just an opportunity, just a real nice spiritual, sentimental moment of them inviting God to be a part of their family, inviting God to be a part of raising this child. In essence, what they are saying is, Lord, this child is ultimately yours, and we want to raise them as such. And, and so that's what we're going to be doing at the 1030 service. Now, normally, when we do a baby dedication, we kind of tack it on to the end of a sermon. And I was kind of looking at the calendar, and we just wrapped up a series last week called Seemingly Impossible. We don't have church next week, which I'm pumped about. I know you guys are excited. It's always nice to miss church and, you know, not feel guilty about it. Um, and we got another series coming down the line, and I thought rather than breaking up the next series with this break for Labor Day? What if we just did a one-off? What if, rather than tacking baby dedication onto the end of the day, what if we gave it its full day? What if we just had a conversation, just as adults, as parents, as adults, have a conversation about what it looks like for us to pour into the lives of the next generation? And so that's what we're going to do today. Nothing major deep, just some real practical stuff that, that we and you guys can begin to implement in your life. So since we're talking about children, you should probably know that I do not have any children, okay? Probably because I've spent a lot of time with your kids, okay? I have, I have, no, I have no children, but because of my age, uh, everybody around me is now having kids. Every time I open up Facebook, it's like, uh, you know, a pregnancy announcement. There's another birth announcement. You know, it's gender reveal parties all the time. I was just one, you know, yesterday I went to one. And because I'm at the very earliest possible millennial there could possibly be, um, most of my millennial friends share every single moment of their kid's life down to the stuff that really only the grandparents care about. But I see it all. It's all there. Okay, it's exciting. But so I don't have, I don't have kids. But I do have a friend, um, and his name is Ethan. Um, he's two. He's actually right over there right now, not paying attention. Um, Ethan likes me a lot, um, and I like him. He likes me a lot. We're good friends. And my wife doesn't really understand why he likes me so much. And I mean, part, and I never let her forget the fact that really he likes me more than he likes her. He, it's, it's, it's very evident that he, I am the favorite. But so he is our good friend's child. They have another kid um, who's great. But we were in Ethan's life from the very beginning. We visited him the day he was born. We see him multiple times a week. We have dinner, generally speaking, you know, two to three times a month. Now that he's learning to swim, he comes and he, he uses our pool. And by the way, let me just say this as a PSA announcement. 
If your kid doesn't know how to swim yet, you need to get them lessons. We are in this state, we are around too much water, too many canals, too many lakes. Your kid needs lessons. And this kid was learning how to swim by like one year old. Like he wasn't doing the breaststroke, but he could flip himself over and get out of the pool. And so if you don't know where to go, ask me and I'll connect you with his parents. But that's just the PSA for the day. Um, But I can just tell you this. Watching this kid just in two years, time has flown by. I mean, it is amazing to see how much has happened, like week after week, the developmental moments that these kids go through. And if you're parents, you don't need me to tell you this. You, you've seen this with your own eyes. I mean, time just, just flies by. I mean, I just can't believe that this kid is now, he's in preschool and, and, and he's, it's nuts. And I'll just tell you this, and I asked his mom if I could share this with you, but just, you know, he's two, he just turned two in, in July, but just two months ago, he wasn't really talking yet. I mean, you could coax a couple of words out of you, but there's just like a lot of grunting going on. And like any parent, there was concern. You know, there's concern when you see your child maybe not hitting particular developmental milestones. But now, two months later, kid doesn't shut up, okay? It's like someone hit the switch and it's like a chatterbox constantly. And we were at dinner last week and I looked at her and I go, yeah, remember the old days when he was quiet? That was nice, okay? But this is... The reason I I bring this up is because today I want to focus on time because time is important and and, and time happens really, really quickly, particularly in the life of a child. And and so what we do here with baby dedication, let me make sure I don't drop these because we are famous for dropping these things. Every time we do a baby dedication here at this church, we give the parents a jar of marbles. And here's here's what we're going to present to those, that family or the two families at the end of the 1030 service. And so this jar of marbles inside has 936 marbles. And you may be wondering, what is the significance of that? There are 936 weeks in your kid's life from the time they were born to the time that they graduate high school, essentially by the time they turn 18. And, and so when we present this jar to these families, we encourage them every week, take a marble out. Just every single week, maybe at the end of a Sunday, just when you're in there with your kid's room, take out a marble. You could throw it away, and you could save it, whatever you want to do, but removing that marble just shows you the passage of time in your kid's life. And we wish we could take credit for this, but a guy named Moses talked about this several thousand years ago. He said this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And as adults, we lose track of time pretty easily. I mean, we were so busy in the day-to-day. We had caught up with work and with bosses and with email that, that we forget that time is actually limited. The time that we have with our kids is limited. The time that we have with our kids while they're still kids is limited. And this jar becomes so important because when you see the time that you have left, you get more serious about the time that you have right now. And so every single week as you begin to take out a marble, the jar in essence becomes a countdown clock. And in sports, you know, when, when, the, when the countdown clock starts getting down to two minutes, and it's, by the way, I mean, if you know me, you know I am, I am a huge sports guy, okay? There's nobody, there's nobody, I, I challenge you, no, I hate sports, can't stand them. And let me just say this while it's on my head talking about countdown clocks. If you're not a sports person in the room, you can empathize with me. You know, your friends invite Joe for the big game, and it's always like the big game, and I have no idea what game it is. I don't even know what, what sport we're about to watch, but I go because my wife says, if you don't go, they're going to stop inviting you. So we go, and like you've now made it through this just ugh, ugh, 
awful game. And now there's two minutes, okay? And you're like, thank the Lord Jesus, okay? There's light at the end of the tunnel. This game is almost over. And then all of a sudden, two minutes takes like an hour, okay? What is going on? Because what happens is time is running out, okay? The clock is getting closer to the bottom. They start calling timeouts. They say, we don't have much time left. We need to get serious. We need to get strategic. We got, we got to make sure that whatever we do it has the most impact right now in this game. But that is what this jar does in your life as a parent. Because as you begin to see the time going away as each week and each month ticks away, all of a sudden you start to pay attention to what you're doing right now. Additionally, the jar reminds us that, that, and it forces us, shall I say, to pay attention to the particular moments in our kid's life. Because, you know, your kid, your kid's only going to be two, one time. And, and they're going to have moments in their life when they are two years old that when they're done, they're never going to happen again. They're gone. I mean, when, you're, when, your, kid, when your kid is three or four, they're going to have moments in their life that when they're done, they're, they're never going to happen again. And, and so when you see the time that's left, you make those moments that matter, matter a little bit more. And so these, these marbles just play such an important role in the parent's life because they remind us that every single week in your kid's life matters. But the jar reminds us that you can't, you can't do it all in a week. You just can't do it all in a week. And so when you see the time that's left, you tend to value what happens over time. And you begin to realize that time is actually your friend. And time can work in your favor if you begin to leverage time for the benefit of your child, okay? And, and, and so, so what you do this week in your kid's life begins to build on, on what you do next week and the week after that. And so what I want to show you guys today I just want to show you six things, just six things that you as parents, you as aunts or uncles or neighbors or friends, okay, or as adults or volunteers downstairs in our kids' department, six things that you can do over time that can have a major influence in the life of a kid, a teenager, or the next generation. So the first thing that we can do over time is the most important one of all, and, and I'll just say this. You're going to know, as parents, you're going to know most of these six things. In fact, you probably do most of these six things already. My hope is, is that when you begin to see it through the filter of time, you'll start doing it with more intention. You'll be more strategic about what you're doing. So this first one is the most important, but we're kicking it off with this one. And, and if you do all the other five, but you don't do this one, then you're really not doing any of them at all. So the first thing that we have to do in the life of a kid over time is we have to love. We have to love. So let me ask you a question. Do you know how you know that God loves you? Because he showed up in your life. He showed up in your life. I mean, at some point in your life, you screwed up, right? You messed up, you failed, you sinned, and God showed up. In spite of everything that you did, God showed up, and he kept showing up in your life. And you are here today as a testament because God showed up in your life in a real and present way. Christians, the reason we know that God loves us is because we have an entire book, the Bible, that, that shows us that God pursued us to the ends of the world. He would do whatever it would take so that we would know that he knows our name and that he loves us. And it's a story from the beginning to the end of how he showed up and he showed up and he showed up. I was thinking about this jar today, and I was thinking about Adam and Eve. And 
You know, when they sinned, when they took that fruit, when they sinned, when they brought sin and death into this world, did you ever think about the fact that God could have dealt with the sin problem in the first 24 hours? I mean, he really could have. He could could have went to Jesus and could have gone to Jesus and said, hey, look, listen, you know, there's only two of them down there right now, okay? The docket's not that full at the moment with the prayer requests. Let's just do this now right? I mean, let's just go down there and we'll just, let's knock this whole sin thing, just bang it out, okay? But he didn't do that. Instead, what did he do? He leveraged time on our behalf. And he spent years and years and decades and millennium and generation after generation showing up in the lives of his people so that it would be recorded so that we would know that God loves us because he showed up. You know how to show love to a child? Over time. Because we here at this church believe that love over time equals worth. Worth gives you a sense of value. And we believe that your kids have value not just because they were made in the image of God, but because God showed up in their life. And that God continues to show up in their life. And so we want to we take our protocol from God. And so we believe that the best way that an adult can show a kid that they're loved is to show up. Over and over and over and over again. For one reason only. Because physical presence is priceless. Your physical presence in the life of your kid, you can't put a value on that. So here's my challenge. Put down the phones. Put down Facebook. Put down social media. Put down the emails. Put down the work. And show up in a real and physical way in your kid's life. Go to the baseball games. Go to the rehearsals. Whatever it has to do, show up. Because your physical presence in the life of your kid is priceless. And God knew this. God knows this. That's why he showed up in physical presence in this world. That's why he sent his son in physical form so that he could walk with us and talk with us and we can lean on him. He would know our fears and know what we need and he could pour into us and that we would know as humans that God loves us because he showed up for us and continues to show up. Here's another thing that we could do over time in the life of a kid with our words. So the average teenager, studies show, the average teenager hears one word of affirmation for every seven words of criticism. Educators will tell you that it is literally impossible to over-affirm a middle schooler. You just can't do it. Now, I think a lot of us sort of hear that, this thing of over-affirming, and we go, you know, knee-jerk. It's like, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to affirm them too much. We're, we're going to give them too much self-esteem. And I get it because you've seen what's kind of happened to, to my generation, the generation that got a trophy for just showing up, right, to participate. And, and that, I understand, that has wreaked some havoc in the world. I get that, okay? But that aside, whatever your thoughts are and all of that, the truth is this, words matter. And we need to be intentional in the way that we speak, not just to our kids, but around our kids. Because they are listening. And when they hear us speak, we are necessarily equipping them with a vocabulary. And in this vocabulary that we equip them with, they are using this vocabulary to understand the world around them. We are equipping them with a vocabulary to navigate issues in their own life. And most importantly, at least in my opinion, we're equipping them with a vocabulary to understand faith and to understand God. See, I firmly believe that words over time equal direction. Because words map our brain. That's what they do. 
They literally map our brain and how it works and how it reacts. And words give us moral and spiritual direction in our life. Literally, words help inform every single thing that we do. Here's something else. The words that we don't say are equally important. Meaning the times that we choose to be silent, the times that we choose just to listen to our kids, is so important because we need to create a space in our schools, in our church, and most importantly in your home where it's a safe zone, where your kids can open up to you. Because God has given us a lot of spiritual gifts, but he has not given us the ability to read another person's mind. We can read their face, we kind of get an idea of what's going on, but you will never know what's really going on in the heart of your kid unless you ask them, and then you listen. So we've got to watch our words over time in the life of kids. This next one is great. Next one is this, stories over time. So humans are actually wired to learn better through stories than they are through data and just information. Scientists, through MRIs and CAT scans, can actually see the human brain more efficiently learn by hearing stories than just presenting facts to people. Okay, now remember, as adults, think back to when you were in high school or, or college, and you had a test, and you had a, or a midterm, or a final, what did you do? You crammed, right? And you just, you crammed, and you crammed, and you pulled an all-nighter before that final exam, and you got into that room, and your teacher put the paper on there, and you just vomited it all back. Everything you study, you just vomited it all back. And by the next day, you forgot half of it, right? The day after that, 75% of it's gone. Now, you know, you don't even know what college you went to, okay? That's <laughs> for other reasons. We don't need to get into that today, okay? But if I were to ask you, all of you in the room, tell me the plot to Home Alone, I guarantee you all could. Every single one of you could. Because that's how we learn. We love stories. We internalize them. It becomes part of our framework. I mean, it just, that, that is how we work. Now, Jesus, <coughs> pardon me as I die, <coughs> Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus understood this. He understood that humans learn best through stories. That's why he used parables. That's why Jesus constantly used stories to impart upon us the most profound truths that the world has ever heard. See, stories are important because stories allow us to experience a world bigger than ourselves. When we read a story, it allows us to get outside of our own little worlds, outside of our own heads. Teachers will tell you that, by the way, my wife is a teacher. That's why I know a lot of this stuff. Teachers will tell you that preschoolers, okay, preschoolers whose parents or guardians read them fictional stories scientifically have higher levels of empathy than those other preschoolers who parents or guardians don't read to them. That means that those kids are able to better imagine a world outside of themselves, that they are better able to step into the shoes of another person. They're better able to see the world through someone else's point of view only because their parents read them fictional stories. And I was thinking, what would the world look like if we as adults could begin to cultivate that? I mean, wouldn't politics be a lot easier if we could begin acting like preschoolers and, and seeing the world through someone else's eyes? Additionally, stories help us to understand God. And this is why we need to read kids Bible stories. Now, I'm not saying Bible stories are fictional. I'm just saying stories that are inside of the Bible. So let's talk about the Bible for a second. Let me ask you a question, a question you won't be able to answer, but I don't know how to transition into this any other way. If I were to ask you, um, tell me, in your opinion, what the, what the greatest family in the Bible is. Like if God were to say, hey, 
just because so, when you get married, you're going to have kids, just so you know, this is my ideal version of what I think uh, a family is to look like. What would you say? You may not know, so let me just give you the, the greatest list of families in the Bible, just the most prominent ones that we know. You may first think Adam and Eve, right? The, the, the prototype of the family, the very first ones, sounds like a good idea. There's one problem. Their one son killed their other son, okay? That's an issue, okay? <laughs> Generally speaking, that's not something you, I mean, like, we don't actually want your kids to kill each other, okay? That happened there, problem. What about Noah, okay? Noah built a, a boat to, to save his family. This, that's great, okay? But there was that one time he got so drunk, and then his son walked in on him naked. That's weird, okay? <laughs> it's hard to bounce back from that, right? Christmas is just not the same when you've seen your dad with his underpants off. Um, how about Lot? Okay, you might not know the story of Lot. It's kind of a weird story, but later on down the road, his daughters feed him so much alcohol, and then they, with him, we don't need to get into that. It's just gross. I mean, that's not a good thing. Generally, that's not what you want happening between, you know, your kids and, and, and the parents. Or there's Joseph. Beautiful coat, right? He had, a, you know, Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. He was so famous. They did a Broadway play over him. Big family, Brady Bunch kind of family. Everything was going well until his brother sold him into slavery. And this is a lesson for you young kids, right? Don't mess with your older brothers, <laughs> all right? They're going to sell you off or maybe kill you. I don't know. Um, last one, because you see where I'm going with this. You got Mary and Joseph. So if they're writing Christmas songs about you, I mean, that's, that's good. That's a hallmark family right there. I mean, if you are the ones that bring Jesus into the world, uh, that's it. Now, what you might not know is one time they left Jerusalem uh, and they forgot to take Jesus with them. And literally, they didn't notice that they forgot their son for three full days. Uh, that's not a lie. That's in there, okay? And if this were 2019, number one, it would be all over the news. Number two, they'd be in jail. And number three, Child Protective Services would have taken away Jesus. But when you begin to look at the families in the Bible, you start feeling a lot better about your own family, okay? And here's why this is important for our kids to hear these stories and for us to read them these stories. They begin to realize that God doesn't use perfect people. He uses imperfect people to, to, to show how perfect he actually is. See, we think that stories over time give kids perspective so that when a kid messes up, and they will, when a kid screws up or fails, and they all will, right? When their kid realizes that they're not perfect, when you as a parent aren't perfect, when, when your family just isn't that perfect picture of what a family is supposed to look like, when that happens, they're not going to run from God. They're going to run to God because they have seen that God, no matter what is happening in their life or in the life of their family, they know that God is writing a bigger story of redemption in their life. That's why we read kids stories over time. Now, this next one is good. We're going to challenge our kids to serve over time. Let me explain to you this one. So here at Downtown Harbor Church, we have pioneered this one. That's my belief, at least. Um, there are uh, several large, let's call it mega churches that are now in this country that are beginning to see sort of the benefit of, of what we're doing here. But let me kind of explain to you what we've been doing here for the last four years. Scripture says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means that we as humans have literally been created to serve one another. And so you may have noticed that all of our volunteers wear a lanyard, and, and it says, um, live to serve. And it says that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's like a joke, like, oh, we live to serve, right? But we do. We live to serve. That, that is, we have been saved in order that we don't have to worry about ourselves anymore, and we can focus all of our attention on other people. 
And so I was taught something one time, and I firmly believe this, that, that what you do affects what you believe. That what you do in this world has a massive, massive impact on what you believe. And several years ago, Adam Duckworth and I, when we launched this church, we, we saw a trend happening in this country that we didn't like. We saw that after high school, when kids would, would, would leave the high school, we talked about this last week with transitions, when they would leave church and they would now go off to college, there would be this thing that we kind of call the slow fade, where all of a sudden they would walk away from church. And, and the reason that was happening in our estimation is that while they were at church, they, they got to experience church, sure, but they never got a chance to be the church. They never got a chance to see what it would look like for God to work through them at their own church. And so that's why at this church, after middle school, we put your kids to work, okay? We have them cracking rocks out back right now. No, we put, we put them, right? We make sure that they're serving because here's the truth. Here's the truth. You can tell your child all day long that they are significant. That they are significant in the eyes of God, that God has a plan for their life, but this is the truth. They will never feel significant unless you give them something significant to do. And so here at this church, we don't offer uh, a youth service, right? There's no, there's no high school church service, and, and, and we get calls all the time. Does this exist? It does not exist here, right? We don't do it because we here at Downtown Harbor Church want to make sure that we don't create, at least in our own church, spectator Christians, kids that just come to church, watch the show, and, and then don't do anything with what they've learned. And yeah, we could, we could create a, a youth service. We could do that, okay? But here's what anybody in youth ministry will tell you as a parent. Your child, your child will always, always grow up and grow out of whatever programming we put them in. But we believe your kid will never grow out of seeing what God did through them in their own church. That's why we encourage our kids to plug into the small groups downstairs, right? When they're, when they're older, when they're in high school, we say, time to, you got to give back. You need to now start pouring into the lives of those younger than you. We have them working on, on the welcome team. We, got, we have kids up here sometimes doing with music in the past. We've done that. We want to encourage them to serve wherever we can because we want them to be the church and not just go to church. We want to challenge our kids to know that when you serve over time, it's going to give them significance. And we want to encourage them to serve at every opportunity they can because that enables them to do the very thing that God has created them to do, serve one another. Now this next one. This next one doesn't sound as spiritual as the rest, but it's, it's very important. And I'll just, before we throw it up here, I'll say a couple of things. Downtown Harbor Church and the people that go to this church have no problem with this next one. Okay? I've been to other churches where they have a problem with this next one. I've been around other Christians who have a problem with this next one. But you here at this church, you do this next one really well. In fact, you might do it really too well. Um, but I'll let you know this. If you want to create a home, if you want to create a home where kids are attracted to it, where, where they, they look at your family and they look at your home and they go, that, that, that's, a, that's an approachable home. There's one thing that you need to do over time, and it's have fun. You got to have fun. Hold on. That's better. Now we're having fun. Okay? Now we're having great timing. I worked with Scott in the timing. Beautiful. Okay? You, you got you to have fun. All right? Here's why this is unbelievably important. Okay? Because fun over time creates connection. It's as simple as that. Scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if that's the case, how's the health of your home? 
Did you ever think that you could measure the health of your family by how much laughter you have inside of your house? I mean, it's true. Now, all of us as adults are, are wired differently. Some of us are wired to fix our kids rather than to just enjoy our kids. And, and so if that's you, I would just challenge you today, what would it look like for you to kind of take a step back and, and just kind of relax for a moment and just enjoy your kids for, for what they're doing right now in this moment? And here's another thing about fun. Fun reconnects what's been disconnected. Any therapist, any child therapist will tell you that when they have a, a client, a child, who has put up walls or who is dealing with, with just some mistrust issues or, or just there's something disconnected within the family, the first thing that they do is they prescribe what they call fun therapy because they know that fun does a couple of things. Fun breaks down those walls and fun begins to reconnect that which has been disconnected. And so in conjunction with this idea, fun authenticates forgiveness. So there are two characteristics that every home, and I would say every church needs. If you want kids, when they've gotten in trouble, if you want those kids to run back to that home rather than run away from that home, there's two characteristics it needs. Joy and forgiveness. Those are the two. If you want kids to run back to you, you need joy and you need forgiveness. Because let me ask you a question. As adults, are you able to have fun with somebody who hasn't forgiven you? No. It's, 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 it's brutal. So I'll just say this, parents, if, if, if you've disciplined your kids or, or if, there, if there's some connection that's, that's broken in that relationship, maybe the one thing that you might need to do is have some fun. You might just need to have, start having some fun with your kids because here's something that you need to know, and it, and it stings a little bit, but it's true. Kids don't think you love them when you act like you don't like them. Kids don't think you love them when you act like you don't like them. And I get it, parents. Work is tough and you're tired, and there's bills, and it's just, and, and your boss has been riding you, but when you choose to play with your child, when you choose to have fun with your child, you need to understand that you are fighting for the integrity of that relationship. So here's my challenge for you just today, right after church, spur of the moment, schedule fun. Just, just, I don't know what it looks like in your family, go to the beach, Go, go get some food. If you're from New Jersey, we go to the mall. Go to the mall, okay? Go to the movies. But just schedule fun with your kids. No, here's a caveat. Don't schedule fun with an agenda. They'll see right through that. Just have some fun. Just have some fun. Now, last one, and then we're done. This last one is a little complicated, so stick with me as I walk you guys through it. The last one, the last thing that we need to do over time are tribes. What is a tribe? A tribe is a group of individuals who come together to accomplish a common goal. That's my definition. I think that's a good working definition for all of us. And we here at this church believe that tribes, over time, give kids a sense of belonging. Now, you as adults know that you want to belong in, in society, right? You, you want to belong. You want to fit in. You, you want to feel like you're accepted. Your kids want that more than anything else. That's what they want more than anything else. Now, if you have a teenager in the room, I can tell you three things about your teenager right now. And if you are a teenager in the room, I hate to, you know, blow up your spot. But here's three things that you need to know about your teenager. Number one, they care more about what their friends think than you think. And you probably know this already. They care more about what their friends think than you think. Number two, they care more about what other adults think 
than you think. And you are beginning to sort of see that. It's like, oh, I, I said it. You didn't listen to me. You know, Uncle John said it. You listened to him. Okay. And number three, they care more about what you think than anything else. And you go, John, you just contradict yourself. I know. We're talking about teenagers. But this is, this is what they do. Okay. <laughs> The one thing that we stress downstairs in our family ministry, when we kind of have like new families that come to us and they say, hey, like church, you know, what's the one thing that we can begin to do right off the bat to sort of set our kids off on the right track? What's that one thing? And, And there's one thing that we tell them all. We say you need to widen the circle of influence. Let me explain to you what this means. You as parents need to intentionally invite another adult into the life of your child. Another adult who, who your kids can look up to, who your kids can, can learn from, and who most importantly will say the same thing that you will say. Because at some point in every kid's life, they not only need, but they seek the affirmation and the acceptance of other adults. And they accept, they, accept the, they want the approval of other adults. And, and you hear this, and you, you, you hear this idea of putting another adult in their life, and and it makes you a little nervous. But remember, there are things going on in your, your kid's life that they don't want to talk to you about, right? There are problems, there are issues, and you had them too. You don't want to talk to mom and dad about that. That's awkward. But they, they really need some other adult that they can go to in that moment. And this makes you a little nervous because you start saying, well, what if, what if my kid, like, spills the family beans, right? What if, what if all of a sudden my kid tells this other, you know, this other adult that, like, I'm a bad parent? Hold on. Let me just... Let's just stop right now and address that because this is, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but this is the truth, okay? Your image is not as important as your kid's future. Your image is not as important as your kid's future. And I'll just give you the same advice that teachers give out at, you know, open night with parents. They, they say this. Here, here, here's, let's do this. I won't believe half of what your kids tell me about you if you don't believe half of what, okay, you know where I'm going with that. But this is, we all know, we, we listen to what kids say and we put it through a filter, but it's important to put another adult in your kid's life. Let me tell you a story about my wife. She um, absolutely loves when I talk about her from stage, but she's not here and whatever. Um, so every Monday for about two, two and a half hours, she tutors our French child. She's a six-year-old girl. And um, so she's in first grade, and so she comes over to our house once a week. She's been doing this now for, oh gosh, over a year now. And, you know, there are some weeks when this little girl has just had a rough day of first grade. And the last thing that she wants to do is, is learn more about reading and learn more about math. I mean, you've been there. I mean, who wants to come home and, and do more stuff? So, so that day, you know, pr- there's particular days where there's, you know, let's call it some crying, right? Some weeping and gnashing of teeth where it's not going as smoothly. And so we say, you know what, this week, let's, let's, we, we've, we've done enough here. Let's, let's put the work away. Let's have some snacks Let's throw, you know, Moana on. I work from home. So this little girl comes into the room to come talk to me, and they do some hide-and-seek, and, and they have fun. And, and she drops her off. And when, when Jacqueline comes back, we're kind of like, you know, we didn't, we didn't get a lot of math done today. We didn't get a lot of reading done today. But I said, you have to understand that something more important happened today. And something more inha- important happens every single Monday. That this young six-year-old first grader, gets the chance to build an authentic relationship with another adult. Somebody who, will, who can, she can look up to, somebody she can learn from, and somebody, most importantly, that will say the exact same thing to her as her mom and her dad. Now, here's the other thing. Like we mentioned before, sometimes 
kids will listen to other adults and not you. And you've been trying to drill something into their head for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they're not listening. All of a sudden, they come home, and they go, oh, you know, John said to do this, and he's, a, he's a, you know, a genius. And you go, ah, I've been trying to get this through your head for weeks. Don't lose your mind, okay? Jesus himself, Jesus himself was literally unable to do miracles in his hometown because they knew him. He says this. He goes, a prophet, he's talking about himself now, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own family. So if Jesus' family won't listen to him, cut yourself some slack, okay? That's probably why he got 12 disciples. So he had a tribe that could pour into other people for him. Here's what we know at this church. Parenting is hard. Being a single parent is even harder. And so that's why we as a church want to partner with you in that and try to lean into you and you can lean on us for whatever you need. And you just need to know that at this church during the 1030 hour, we have small groups that your young kids are in. And every single week, they have a consistent adult in their life that they can learn from, that they can look up to. And that will say the exact same thing that you will say. But you guys know all this stuff. Yeah, I guarantee you're doing all of these six things already. Our hope is that after today, you'll begin to do it through the lens of time. So here's the thing. Let me make sure I don't drop these things. Um, this jar represents your child's life from the time they're born to the time they leave for college. And in the beginning, you count, you count their life by weeks, right? It's either the first week, they got the second week, then, then, then they're four weeks. But when they're one, they're only one once. And you will never know your child again as a one-year-old. And then they're two. And they're only going to be two once. And you'll never know your child again as a two-year-old. And then all of a sudden they're 18. And they graduate. And you lose all your marbles. And it's all gone. It's all over. And there were ups and there were downs. But the reason this is so important is because no matter what happens, we have to all remember that it's just a phase. So don't miss it. Time is precious. Time flies by. So let's start being more intentional about what we do with the time that we have right now. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today. And just as friends, as family, and I just want to specifically pray for the parents in the room. Lord, you have, you have blessed them with children. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them just be more intentional about what they are already doing. Help them, lead them, and guide them. We as adults, Lord, God, we as adults, I pray that, that you would challenge us to pour into the lives of, of the kids that are all around us. Because these kids, these teenagers, this is the next generation. And we want to make sure that we raise them up so that when they leave us, when they go off to college, when they go live their own life, Lord, that they will know who you are, that they will know your son Jesus, and they will know that they are loved. Thank you 
for the gift of children. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.